0: And welcome to installment number four of our series, The Passion and the Glory. As we've said before, this series was actually developed by a brother in Christ from Etman, Oklahoma, Church of Christ by the name of Mike Mazzalongo. This lesson, The Passion and the Glory, it is about the passion being the death of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus The glory being his resurrection. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared several times to his apostles and at these appearances he gave them instructions that would actually change the world in three significant ways. After his resurrection, as we noted last week, the apostles record at least 12 separate occasions where Christ Jesus appeared to them and different disciples in small groups. And as you remember, on one occasion, he actually appeared to over 500 people. And during these times of his appearances, he ate with them, he taught them, he encouraged them, and he prayed with them. With that said, let us pray. Our blessed heavenly Father, we are thankful indeed. We're thankful, Father, of the foresight for which you saw during the time when you created us. You saw the possibilities within us, Father, of evilness. And Father, there was sin. And Father, it was necessary that you would provide someone who could pay the debt that we couldn't pay a perfect Savior who, a Savior who rather lived a perfect life and was in himself perfect. And Father, we're thankful for the joy with which he took on the task of first coming to deserve, Father, and teaching and suffering and dying. And we're thankful for his resurrection, Father, as he gave us specific instructions on things that we were to do to tell, to change the world and to tell the world about him. And, Father, we pray that each and every one of us would take the time to dig into his word, your word, meditate on that word, Father, and put ourselves in a position where we can tell others about the life, about the death, about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here this night. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen and amen. On the 40th day after Christ Jesus' resurrection, we can read in Luke 24, verse 50, as well as Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. We can read there, and what Luke tells us is that Christ Jesus gathered his apostles, and he took them for a walk. They left Jerusalem and headed toward Bethany, and this is the same road that goes through, or travels through, the mount of olives where Christ Jesus prayed on the night before his passion that is the night before his death luke mentions that they had gone about a seven days journey uh, a seven days journey in this particular case means that the jews were only allowed to walk about 2000 paces on the sabbath day so they had gone about a seven days a sabbath days journey and they came to the point where the road branched out in two different directions. One direction was to Jericho, the other to Bethany. And as they walked and as they talked, he reminded them to stay in Jerusalem until they receive power from the Holy Spirit. As you remember, this was promised to them at uh, Mark chapter 16 at verse 17 He told them that after they received the power, they were to become witnesses witnesses of everything that they had seen and everything that they had heard, and they were to tell the world. And what they were to tell the world about was this. They were to tell the world about his life, his miracles, his teachings, his death, or his passion, and his resurrection, or his glory. He didn't stop walking. And he faced them and lifted up his hands, and he prayed a blessing upon them. And as they listened to his prayer, something else happened. He began to rise up into the sky until he was taken completely into the clouds. Now this time, when Christ Jesus departed from them, it was different from all the other times. Because you see, all the other times he simply appeared and then disappeared. This time, he visibly ascended into the sky until they could see him no longer. Go to Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 10. Acts chapter 1, and verse 10. There, Luke tells us that as they looked, two men in white told them to return to Jerusalem and wait for the power that was promised them by Jesus, who would one day return from the clouds in the same way that he ascended. At Acts chapter 1 at verse 10, the Bible reads, And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And as a result of this, those apostles, they went away amazed. But they still had to wait ten more days in Jerusalem before the power of the Holy Spirit would descend upon them. And during these ten days, just like we today, when we are told to expect something, it was a time for them to ponder the incredible final command that he had given during his last few moments with them. Now, in a minute, we're going to be going over to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. And after we finish reading that section of scripture, we're going to be going over to Mark chapter 16. So what we have, and looking at the synoptic account here, what we have is both Matthew and Mark. How we see how they recorded different occasions when Christ Jesus gave his apostles their final instructions. at Matthew 28, at verse 16, the Bible reads, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When we look at Mark 16 and verse 16, it seems like Mark just takes up in, us, in essence where, where, where Christ Jesus left off here in Matthew. At verse 16, the Bible says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. I have been alluding to Logic a lot during this lesson. And, and Danny, when he was doing this lesson on Sunday, I noticed he was using some logic too. And when I say using logic, that's the way I was taught in college about logic, logic using if then statements. So the logic of this is this. If I believe and is baptized, then I shall be saved. If I disbelieve, therefore I am not baptized, then I shall be condemned. It's simple logic. It really is simple logic. Verse 17. These are the signs. The Bible reads these are the signs. Rather these signs will accompany those who have believed. And we're talking about the apostles here. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And you think about, remember Paul when he survived the shipwreck and he was on the island there and the snake came out of the, from, by the fire and bit him and people looked at him like, oh man, he survived the shipwreck and he's going to die from the bite of the snake. And all Paul did was shake it off and keep going. Christ Jesus had promised that power to the apostles. So basically, when we look at the command that Christ Jesus gave them, it can be broken down into three parts. Number one, they were to tell the good news of Jesus who died to pay for the sins of all men and then rose from the dead to prove his divinity. And they were to tell it to every person in the world. Number two, they were to baptize. That, that word, baptizo, means to submerge or immerse, to go underwater. They were to baptize, immerse in water, those who believed their witness about Jesus. And number three, they were to teach the converts to know and obey everything that Jesus commanded so that they would become faithful disciples as well. This command, and its execution was critical. It was critical because in carrying it out, the apostles would create a a turning point, if you will, for mankind in our relationship with God. So when they began preaching the gospel, when they began baptizing repentant believers... When they began teaching them the way and the words of Christ Jesus, three things happened that had never happened before or that had never taken place before. And it happened for the first time in the history of mankind, both spiritual and physical history. Number one was this. There was absolute exclusivity in religion. Cute word, but it makes sense. You see, until this time, religion was very was a very cultural or a tribal thing. Each country had its religions, each country had its gods, and when countries merged through wars or alliances, so did their gods and so did their religions. There was strength in numbers, so they thought. The more gods you had, the better off you were. But in Matthew 28, and verse 18, Christ Jesus tells them something different. Christ Jesus tells them to preach only him. What did he say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Preach only me. If you look at uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, what we're going to find there is this. Peter boldly declared this fact to the religious leaders of his day. At Acts chapter 4, verse 12, this is what Peter... taught. The word says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. This is the reason that the apostles were tortured. It's the reason that they were killed. Not that they preached about Uh, mere religion if you will because you see they had thousands of gods they had thousands of religions back in that day they were martyred because they dared to say that Jesus Christ was the only way a person could come to God you know what nothing has changed today nothing has changed today people may not like it and they don't people may may disagree with it and they do people may reject it And they do. But no one can deny that Jesus demands exclusive loyalty to himself. And that the Bible teaches that a person cannot be saved from hell, eternal separation separation from God, by any other person or by any other religion. But you know what? People still hate this idea today and people still hate anyone who preaches this today. In our society, in our society, we are at the point in history where only two concepts in religion remain. One is inclusive, which is represented by those who espouse religious pluralism. Now this concept includes, as valid, all disciplines, all religions for the common good. Most churches and religions are going in this direction as well as some educational systems. The other concept of religion is that of exclusivity, which is represented by New Testament Christianity. It declares, it declares that there is only one way and that one way is Jesus Christ. After his resurrection, After his glory, Jesus commanded his apostles to preach that he and only he could save men to the exclusion of every other god or religion, every other philosophy, every other prophet. Much tension and conflict concerning religion throughout history has been caused by Christianity's demand for exclusivity. And you know what? It will continue until our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus returns to vindicate those who believe and depend on him. And I say to you, this is a hard idea to accept, especially in the United States, where we pride ourselves on being tolerant of of every religion and every point of view. But it's something we must remember. We must remember that salvation... It's not based on democracy. Salvation is based on the blood of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, who shed his blood on the cross and his subsequent resurrection, his subsequent glory. This makes him, Christ Jesus, the final arbiter in matters of religion, especially on the question of personal salvation. So, three things change. Absolute exclusivity in religion. Number two, there was a final solution to man's major problems, or rather life's major problems. What are life's major problems? Sin and death. At Mark 16 and verse 15, Jesus commands his apostles to preach the good news to all nations. And the question is this, what is the good news? What is the good news? Not that Jesus, rather not that only Jesus is Lord of all. Not that people could now go to church. They could pray. They could read their Bibles. Now make no mistake. These are all good. Make, they are good, but they are not the good news. They're good, but they are not the good news. The good news is this that God has successfully dealt with man's two oldest problems, sin and death. Until Jesus, there was no solution to sin in that people kept sinning. Even when they knew what was right or wrong, they still did not have the ability to consistently do what was right even if they wanted to. It is the same today. We continue to sin when we don't want to. Christ Jesus provided a final solution for death. You see, no matter how great, strong, a holder the people were, they still died. No one knew for sure what happened afterwards. There were many rituals and there were many theories about it, but death remained a terrible mystery and destiny of every person. Things have not changed today. Even with the modern medical advances that we have today, the many that we have, everyone still dies at some point. Psalm 90 at verse 10. Psalm 90 at verse 10. 3,000 years ago, the psalmist said that the average lifespan of man was about 80 years. And this has not changed much today because according to Forbes magazine, the average lifespan is about 79.5 years. The psalmist writes, as for the days of our life, They contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. For yet, rather, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Acts chapter 2 at verse 38. Acts 2 at verse 38. There in Acts 2 at verse 38, what we have is this. Peter announces the good news. And the heart of the good news is the solution to the problem of sin. Acts 2, verse 38, the Bible says, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The final solution for the problem of sin is Forgiveness. By his death on the cross, Christ Jesus has paid the moral debt for man's sin. Why? I rather I should say because of this, God can now offer all men forgiveness for sin. The final solution to man's imperfections, to man's mistakes, and to man's disobedience is God's loving forgiveness. And with that forgiveness comes several things. Comes freedom. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from fear. Freedom from the need to perfect self by self. And freedom from condemnation to a joyful and peaceful conscience before God. Romans 8 at verse 13 Romans 8 at verse 13. In addition to this, the Holy Spirit gives the disciple of Christ the power to overcome sin. At Romans 8 at verse 13, the Bible reads, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are put into death the deeds of the body, Let me read that again because I missed a word. But if by the Spirit you are put into death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. John chapter 6 at verse 39. John chapter 6 at verse 39. So we see the solution to sin is forgiveness. Now we get to see the solution for death. In John 6, verse 39, Christ Jesus clearly announces the final solution to the problem of death, which every man must suffer. At John 6, verse 39, the Bible reads, This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. So the final solution as a result of Christ Jesus death, burial, and resurrection. The final solution for sin is forgiveness. The final solution for death is resurrection. Man could now see that death was real, but not final. There is life after death, even eternal life. In his final command, a resurrected man, Christ Jesus, is telling his disciples to go and tell the entire world how God will forgive their sins and give them resurrection and eternal life after death. This was a message that was never heard before this. It was never even imagined before this. This was a message that offered a a real solution to man's two greatest problems, sin and death. The solution being forgiveness for sin and resurrection from death, and both of them, both of them are only possible through our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Talk about good news? That's good news. That's good news for a guilt, guilty sinner who is condemned to die. That's what we were when we came to Christ Jesus. We were guilty sinners who were condemned to die. But by the grace of God, we came to Christ Jesus, and that changed because we now have access to the solution to our biggest problems, sin and death. So the three things have changed. Absolute, exclusivity in religion. A final solution is offered to sin and death, which is forgiveness and resurrection. But this third one, this third one is a toughie. You see, the entire world was made to choose. The problems of sin and death were solved by the life, the death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. Jesus' appearance after his death confirmed his divine nature. It confirmed his complete authority, and it confirmed his claim to exclusive loyalty. Jesus now sends out his apostles to confront the world, to confront the world with these facts and force them to choose. Force them to choose before he returns one last time to judge all men. I want to take you to Mark chapter 16 at verse 16. Mark 16 at verse 16. There, Mark writes very plainly or quite plainly concerning the choice. Mark 16, 16, here's the choice. He who believes and has been baptized shall be saved. He who, has not, he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Logic. If I believe and is baptized, then I will be saved. That's the choice I'm going to make. Or I'm going to make this choice. I am, if I disbelieve and therefore not be baptized, then I shall be condemned. That is my choice. You know, people sometimes like to say this, that God is too is too loving to allow anybody to go to hell. they right. I mean, you can't get any more loving than that than to send your son to suffer down the cross for sins he didn't commit for people who did and the very people who were trying to kill him and wanted to kill him. He doesn't get any more loving than that. They They don't want to take any responsibility because there is that choice there where I can choose to follow God Or I can choose not to follow God. And God is being as proactive as he is. He tells us the consequences of each. But yet we have the audacity to say. God won't allow me to go to hell. You're right. We send ourselves to hell by virtue of the fact that we do not do what God is asking us to do. You see. The entire issue of life and death. Is reduced to. One choice. Those who believe and are baptized will be saved, meaning that forgiveness, resurrection, and eternal life belong to the one who believes and is baptized, that is, immersed in water. Those who disbelieve and consequently refuse baptism will be condemned, that is found guilty of sin, and punished to an eternity, suffering in hell away from God. So the choice, the choice, the choice is exclusive. The choice is exclusive. It's one or the other. That choice is also terrifying when considering the options, heaven or hell. The choice attacks my privacy. It attacks my sense of independence. Because we want to be independent of God versus realizing like children teach us. Children do teach us a lot. I mean, I swear, look at these little children and check them out. You know, when they first born, right, they are dependent upon mom and dad for everything. The burping, the diaper changing, the feeding, all that stuff, right? Then they start walking around, they, they, those, what we call the terrible twos. Now they become independent. I can do it myself. But then they, they turn into a, a 13 year old and they realize, whoa, let me see, mom and dad got the car, mom and dad got the job, mom and dad got the money. I think I'm going to be a little interdependent. And that's what children teach us and God wants us to be interdependent. Yeah, there's some things we can do for ourselves, but we got to realize there are some things we can't do for ourselves. That's where that interdependence comes in. The choice is demanding. The choice is urgent, but the choice is also offensive. Why? Because it judges me. It judges me. The choice weighs a million tons on my conscience until I answer it. The choice makes me angry. The choice makes me angry. It makes me angry because now that I know what the choice is, oh man, I want to say, why do you make me choose anyway? I want to say, being neutral is more comfortable, you know? I don't want to do that. I just want to, you know, I don't want to make a choice. Through the gospel, God brings us face-to-face with reality. For the first time in in history, man could go to the edge. Just like, you know, remember reading about Moses and God allowed him to go up to the top of the mountain and look over into the promised land? <laughs> you know, so this is like this. For the first time in history, man could go to the edge And look into eternity and look into what is out there, the future, if you will. And when they do this, they face the incredible responsibility of choosing to live or die. Choosing to live or die. Acts 2, verse 41 now, we read 238 of a little bit where Peter broke it down for us, how we receive forgiveness of our sins. And we see the result of this preaching here at verse 41. You know, for most, pride and attachment to sin caused them to, to actually throw away the opportunity to live forever in exchange for the momentary sinful pleasures of this world. In Acts 2, verse 37 through 40, of course, Luke tells us of the, and specifically verse 41, Luke tells us of the thousands who, after being given the choice to live or to die, to be forgiven or not be forgiven, to be, remain spiritually dead or resurrected, those who gladly responded to God's gracious offer of forgiveness and life after death. The text there says at verse 41, So then those who had received his word were baptized and that day there were added about three thousand souls Jesus' final command to tell the world about God's solution to sin and death through his death and resurrection was a a true was truly a, a, a turning point in the history of mankind because you see with it, God established Jesus as the only Lord and Savior. No one could please God. No one could come to God except through Him. With it, He also revealed God's solution to sin and death, which is forgiveness and a promise of resurrection. With it, He also sent a clear, a clear choice to all men. Believe in Him and be baptized for salvation or perish in your sins. The choice is painfully clear and simple. If I believe and is baptized, then I will be saved. It is so logical. It is so logical. The final command was first preached by the apostles and then handed on to every generation of Christian to present to their society It also needs to be presented and passed on by the present generation until Christ Jesus returns. Now, you you remember the definition of faith? Now faith is, not just faith is, but now faith is because that's indicating a presence, a presence. We have lived in the past, we are living in the present. We know there's a future, but if we're tomorrow alive tomorrow at this time, it is not the future. We're alive tomorrow at this time, it is the present. So the present generations, which means it is no different for our generation. The final command stands before us in all of its urgency, in all of its terror, in all of its promise, in all of its glory. There's a catch. Every one of us must make make a choice concerning our eternal destiny based on these words of Christ Jesus. Those who believe and are baptized will be saved. If I believe and is baptized, then I will be saved. It is so logical. You know, I, every time I say that, I kind of remind myself of Mr. Spark on Star Trek because it was so logical. But it is logical. It is logical. Brethren, it is with sincere hope that as we have explored Christ Jesus' passion, that is his death, and his glory, that is his resurrection. That in lesson one, week one, when we started this lesson, that we joined him at that last supper, that last Passover. And we saw how the focus changed from the past to the future as we read there in Matthew 26. That we that second week that we heard his last word from the time that he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, to the time that he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That we have seen his last miracle and that was his glorious resurrection and those, those 40 days or so where he spent on the earth. He was on the earth talking to his disciples and apostles and teaching them and encouraging them and being with them and praying for them. And then tonight, we know his last command. We are to go into the world and preach the gospel. We are to go into the world and tell about the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. We are to go into the world and let the world know that there is only one way to God, and that is through Christ Jesus. There is no other way. No other way. It's logical. So thank you for joining us tonight. Whether you are here in person or online, we thank you for joining us. And I joyfully invite you back next week. As we conclude this series, I shouldn't say conclude because we're going to conclude the series next week, but the week after that I'm going to do a recap just to bring it all back together for everyone just in case we miss some. But next week, we shall talk about his last gift. We will receive his last gift. So the midweek devotional it's about to pre- be presented shortly. For those online or in here as well, we hope that you can join us. For those online, you see our contact information on the board behind me. Uh, if you have any questions, if you have any needs, prayer, Bible study, baptism, by all means, write us, call us, send us an email. We look forward to hearing from you. Um, if you need to know more about the good news of Christ Jesus and what it's really about, by all means, give us a call. We thank you for joining